So like I said, last time I preached, after chapter 9, we start in chapter 10 of Proverbs, all the way until about chapter 25, there's 375 different individual Proverbs that Solomon writes. And so it's very jumbled, a lot of different subjects, and so it's hard to pinpoint exactly what you're going to cover when you look at a chapter. I I could have covered five different subjects uh, in the rest of chapter 12, but it just wouldn't be profitable for you or for me uh, for our time. You know, we'd be here for a long time. So I decided, I picked one verse that I thought really stood out to me. So we're going to get to that in just a few moments. And, um, but before we do, I just want to, just want to uh, touch on this subject here that will introduce what we're going to talk about. You know, our, our world today is broken. It's in a broken condition. You know, at different times we can make those statements. And sometimes we make a statement like that, that our world is broken. And it feels more broken at certain points than at other points. Right now, it feels really broken, doesn't it? I mean, just look around at the chaotic things that have been going on and just, it's, it's broken. And there's a lot of hopelessness and there's a lot of anger and there's, there's a lot of despair and people are overwhelmed and people are looking for answers and they're looking here, there, and everywhere for solutions to the problems in our culture and they're not finding good answers. And... Um, this is the picture of what we see in the Bible. The Bible paints this picture of, of our culture, paints this picture. And we see it in the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 25. It says this. This is a picture of what we're experiencing, not only in creation, but in, in, in ourselves as humans. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Creation itself, the very creation itself, is is, is in bondage to corruption. And the hope is is that the creation itself would obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. For For we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, those of, those of us who are saved, we groan inwardly and we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we, we wait for it with patience. So we're waiting with patience for the day that this body that is subjected to corruption and sin and pain and disease and sickness is going to be redeemed. And it can be overwhelming when we look at, at just the immensity of the problems that we experience in this life. And I just, you know, and I know that we all know this. And I know that, that as Christians, this is what we believe and this is what we preach. And we preach that Jesus is the only answer to our brokenness. Jesus is the only answer. It's not the answer that the majority of people want to hear in our culture. It's not the answer that the politicians are going to tell you, but Jesus is the only answer because Jesus is the only one that can heal brokenness. Jesus is the only one that is the answer to sin. We live in a society that is broken and corrupt because of the effects of sin. Sin in its, in its darkness and its blackness and its, and its, and its uh, a root coming from Satan, it, it just... When, when it gets into a person's life, when it gets into a culture, into a society, it corrupts and stains and, and, and causes everything to decay. 
Sin is pervasive in our culture. And the only cure for sin, the only way to be set free from sin is through Jesus Christ. So all the things that we deal with, the offenses and the prejudice and the hatred and the anger, all of that, Jesus is the only answer. And it's not just, it's not just a... It's not just a blanket statement that we say, like, oh, yeah, Jesus is the answer. No, he really is. He really is the answer. Because what does Jesus do? When you place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, what does he do? He changes your heart. And he begins, he places you on the path, on the way, the pathway, the way of righteousness. And you, when you become a Christian, you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you begin to think differently. You begin to look at the world differently. And the only way that society will see the world correctly is to see it through the lens of Jesus Christ, period. So until then, uh, it's going to remain broken. And actually, we were talking about this in staff meeting this morning. You know, our prayer is that, is that people would come to know Jesus. And our prayer is that our society would turn to Christ. But the reality of the scripture, it shows that in our culture, when you, read the end, when you study the end of the book, the end of the Bible, we see that it's not going, in society, it's not going to get better and better. People are not going to progressively choose Jesus. They're going to progressively reject him. But the church, in the midst of that corruption, in the midst of that type of environment, we must stand taller and we must speak louder and we must engage our culture more and still preach the gospel because God is still going to save in the midst of corruption. What did we study in, in Revelation, this last study? Even in the midst of judgment, when God is pouring out his judgment on sinful humanity, God still gives opportunity for people to repent. And so we're going to still give the answer. We're still going to preach the truth. People may not want to hear it. It may not be the politically correct message, but Jesus is the only answer to all the ills and all the difficulties of our society. And this is what we see in Proverbs. This is the message of Proverbs. This is what Proverbs is all about. You have the way of righteousness and you have the way of death. If you follow the way of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, then, then, your, then your life can be filled with joy and peace. You can walk in the forgiveness of sins. And, and, but if you don't follow the path of righteousness, if you don't submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then you're on the pathway of death. Now, we all have a time that we're born, right? We, we know that time. And we don't know the time of our death, but we're all going to die. But I believe that in our lives, in that time span between our birth and our death, we're either living or we're progressively dying. We're either progressively becoming more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and progressively be pointing towards life, becoming more and more like Christ, or we are progressively going in the direction of death. Those are the only two options. Now, those that of us that are in Christ, we are progressively dying physically, but inwardly we are being changed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Those are, those are the two pictures, and this is what we see in Proverbs 12, 28. This is the verse that we're going to cover. The one verse we're going to cover in chapter 12. Pastor Nate is going to ask me if I finish chapter 12. And this is the last verse of Proverbs chapter 12. So we finished. We, I, I did the last verse. This is, what, this is what Proverbs 12, 28 says. And this is not only what Proverbs 12, 28 says. This is, we have seen it over and over and over again in the first 11 chapters. This is the contrast. This is what Proverbs does. It contrasts. In the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. 
in the way of righteousness, in the path of righteousness, there is life. It's the only way to have life is to be in righteousness. And in its pathway, in the path of righteousness, there is no death. So what I want to look at is I want to look at the way of righteousness. What does the way of righteousness look like in our life? What is the way of righteousness and how can it be characterized? And so uh, we're going to talk about four different ways that we see the way of righteousness play out in our life. Number one, in the way of righteousness, there is forgiveness of sins. In the way of righteousness, there is forgiveness of sins. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that in the way, if you live good enough, that you're going to get your sins forgiven. But in the way, in the way of righteousness, by submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, making him by placing your faith in Jesus, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's such a beautiful scripture. For our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the way of righteousness, we submit to his path that we can walk and have the very righteousness of God. We can be forgiven of our sins. This is the heart of the book of Proverbs. This is what what we studied in the beginning when it says that wisdom is crying out in, in the street. Wisdom is in the street corner crying out loudly, follow after Jesus, follow after wisdom. What did we study? I think I, I, I might have been the second lesson in the book of Proverbs, and, and I said Jesus is wisdom personified. When you, when you want to know what wisdom is, we look at Jesus. Jesus is wisdom in the flesh. And so in, in the book of Proverbs, it says that, that wisdom stands at the street corner and cries out to all the people that are passing by that are going their own path on the pathway of death, and wisdom is crying out, come, follow me, and this is what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, this is the heart of Proverbs. Trust in Jesus, follow him, follow his ways, his ways, the paths of righteousness. Place your faith in him. He is the only way to experience forgiveness of sins and find peace with God. Those that follow Christ, we become new creations. Isn't that such a beautiful picture? All of your old life, all your past failures, your mistakes, everything. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you become a new creation in him. All things have passed away and all things have been made brand new. Those who follow Christ are a new creation. Their path leads to continual life. That's what John 10, 10 says. This is what Jesus says. I have come, I have come that you may have life. And have it abundantly. If you go the opposite path, the path of death, of unrighteousness, you, you have death and you have it abundantly. It's a continual cycle. And, and look, we all know that, don't we? Even as Christians, we can, we're still tempted, right? I don't know about you. I'm still tempted. We're all tempted, right? And we can be tempted to veer off the path of righteousness. We've been forgiven. We've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes the devil can say the path of death is the good path. Go ahead and follow that path. We saw that in Proverbs. What did, what did Solomon say about the adulterous woman? You follow her path. It's the path that leads to death. Don't follow that path. And this is what we know as Christians. And this is what we have come alive to as Christians. We see it now. 
Before, we were just on the path of death. We didn't even know it was the path of death. We're just walking our life, living according to the impulses of our flesh, doing what our sinful nature wanted to do. But when the gospel is preached, when we hear the truth about Jesus, and we hear the truth about ourselves, that, that we are sinners and that we cannot save ourselves and we need forgiveness if we're going to stand before a holy God. When we hear that message and we submit to the gospel, submit to Jesus, then all of a sudden we're awakened to righteousness. All of a sudden we can see clearly what Proverbs is trying to teach us. There is two paths. That's it. And when we are awakened to righteousness, this is the path we want to walk in. We want to walk in righteousness. And when we are tempted to walk in the path of death, we know what the truth is. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we resist and we say no. And if we do surrender and we do give in to the temptation, we are the most miserable people on the planet of the earth. Because we know, because we know that this is not who we are. We know that this sin that we're being tempted to commit, the sin that we're walking in is in contrast, is contrary to who we are as new creations in Christ. And this is what it looks like to follow the path of the, the way of righteousness. In the way of righteousness, this, there is forgiveness of sins. And this is, this is the beginning. This is the foundation. And this is where it builds from. If you don't start here in the way of righteousness, then you cannot have continual life. You cannot have that abundant life that Jesus came to give. Isn't that such a beautiful picture? I love that in John 10, 10. He says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant peace, abundant joy, abundant grace. This is why Jesus came. The way of death, though, in contrast, leads to further guilt and further shame. In the way of righteousness, there is forgiveness of sins. And this leads, what I believe, to the, to the next picture of what it looks like to walk in the way of righteousness. Number two, in the way of righteousness, the things of this world are no longer attractive. When the Lord has your heart, the way of death no longer has ownership of your affections. What is God after? He wants your affections. Wherever you're, whoever has your affections, that's what you're going to follow, right? You know, Jesus has my primary affection my number one affection belongs to christ and because my number one affection belongs to christ then my number two affection belongs to my wife kind of rhymes there christ wife so christ has my affections and primarily and he number he's number one and as a result of that then then my number two is my wife and then it, it goes down to my children and it goes down to my my my, my, my church family and then it goes down to golf well, maybe I should say work before golf because I don't get to play golf as much as uh, I work. But, but just let me tell you, whatever I give my affections to, you know, like they have the British Open Championship, otherwise known as the Open, the Open Championship, going to be played starting tonight in the middle of the morning, I think around 3 in the morning or so, and I'm going to be DVRing it. And, um, and it's one, probably one of the biggest, it's, it's a great one of the major golf tournaments, and, and my affections are stirred up. <laughs> I'm like, I'm excited about golf. Who's going to win? Is it going to be Jordan Spieth? Is it going to be Dustin Johnson who won the U.S. Open? Like, I can really give my affections to golf. And if I continue to give my affections to golf, I continue to give my time and my affections to golf, then that's where I'm going to follow. But if, if it, it, I would not have a very good life if I did that. I would lose my job, then I would lose my wife, and then I would, I would lose a lot of things. So we have to have our priorities correct. Whatever, ha- whatever has our affections is what we're going to give our time to. 
And, that's, and then you're going to be able to see what your life's going to look like. So if we don't have our priorities correct, and Jesus is not number one, then life's not very good. <laughs> but when the Lord has our heart, the way of death no longer has ownership of our affections. We don't want the things of, of, of this world. The sinful pleasures of this life are seen for what they really are. Our affections are no longer attracted to those. And I was thinking about, okay, what's a good example of that? Of the, the attractions of the world drawing people, drawing children of God, drawing people of God away. Now thinking of the children of Israel. We all know the story. God used Moses as a spokesman to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and say, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And, and um, God sent plagues and eventually Pharaoh listened. And then, and then Pharaoh changed his mind. And then God split the Red Sea and then drowned all the Egyptian army. And then the children of God end up in the wilderness. And, and they have a small little journey to go in the, in the wilderness to worship God. And then, they, then to get to the promised land. But they end up wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness. And, and they can't get to the promised land. And they begin to complain. God feeds them with, with manna from heaven and, 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 and birds from the sky and a, a pillar of fire by night guides them and clouds by day. And you would think, man, what a supernatural existence, right? But after a while, they're eating this manna. Do you know what manna means? It means, what is it? <laughs> like, how would you like to eat, eat food and you don't even know what it is? That, that's, the question you, that's the question you ask every day when you go to pick it up. What is this, honey? I don't know what this is. Why are we picking this stuff up? This is ridiculous. We don't even know what it is. But, I mean, it fell from heaven. We got to trust God. We got to trust Moses, you know. I mean, so they just, they, they were upset about this. And they went and complained to Moses. They said, Moses, we had garlic and we had fish and we had onions and we had flavorful foods we knew what they were this stuff we don't even know what it is and we've been eating it day after day year after year we want to go back and that is a picture of the fleeting pleasures of sin Egypt is a picture of sin and of rebellion and of Satan and his kingdom and they were longing to go back and this is what it says in the book of Numbers it says Numbers 11, 4 through 6, it says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. Literally, it means they lusted intensely. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers. I love cucumbers. I ate lots of cucumbers in Albania. They were so good. The melons. Oh, the melons in Albania. (laughs) <laughs> oh man they can attest to that that was some good melons the sweetest melons I ever had they were really good the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic I always, everyone cracks this joke so I gotta crack it you know, they, were, they wanted the bad breath they were, they were longing for that bad breath but now our whole being is dried up there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes Isn't that a picture of what it looks like when somebody, their affections are in the wrong place? These are the children of God. Through their lineage was going to come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. These are God's children, God's chosen people. And they have an affection for the things of this world. They want to go back to their bondage. They want to go back to their bondage, to their slavery. God miraculously set them free and they want to go back. God sent all the plagues. Delivered them. 
Can you imagine seeing the Red Sea? Just think about the Red Sea parting. And then the water collapsing on the Egyptian army. And God miraculously rescues you. And at, where in your brain would you ever think, God did all of that, but I want to go back. So it's an amazing picture. But what does God say about Moses? This is Hebrews 11. Moses was different. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says this about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. How many of you know sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, it leads to death? It's fleeting. And people say, People say, well, you know, it just it feels good, so it can't be wrong. But in the end, that temporary pleasure is temporary. And it goes away, and what's left is guilt. And what's left is shame. And what's left is broken marriages. And what's left is broken relationships. And, and what's left is pain and destruction. It's temporary pleasure. It's fleeting. And all of us, all of, all of us, all of us who have walked in the fleeting pleasures of sin we can all attest to this if i handed out the mic and i said tell me your stories the censored version the censored version let's hear the censored version we'd be here all night talking about how we have learned that sin's pleasures are fleeting and they don't satisfy in the way of righteousness the things of this world they're no longer attractive. When we look at the glories that are to come, when we look at the peace that we've experienced, when we look at the forgiveness that we have, when we look at, at all the blessings that God has given us, when we turn and we look at the world, we say, what, what, do you, what, what, what do you have to offer? You have nothing to offer me. There's nothing. There's no amount of, of good relationships you can offer. There's no amount of money that you can throw in front of me that I would look at and say that I would reject the ways of God in place of money. There's no amount of of if any type of pleasure that compares to the goodness of God. And this is what it looks like to walk in the way of righteousness. In, let's go back, let's put up Proverbs 12, 28. In the way of righteousness. In the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. There's no death. We don't continually die in the way of righteousness. We continually, progressively become more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So in the way of righteousness, there's forgiveness of sins. And we receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. We become new creations in Christ. And in the way of righteousness, the things of this world are no longer attractive. We can see clearly the contrast. And then thirdly, in the way of righteousness, fools become wise. In the way of righteousness, fools become wise. And this is such a picture of Proverbs. I mean, we just see this over and over again. That in the way of righteousness, this is, this, is, this is the call of wisdom to the fool. Hey, wake up. Wake up. If you will listen, you can become wise and have discretion and, 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 and walk in ways of wisdom. Listen, wake up. In the ways of righteousness is the only way that you can become wise. How, how many of you know people? They, they just make the same mistake over and over and over again. You met somebody like that? If it's yourself, you don't have to raise your hand. But you just think of that person, they're just foolish. You would think, okay, A, or, or I should say one plus one 
equals 2. You start with A, it goes to B, it goes to C. 1 plus 1 equals 2. Like, it's easy steps. You see, if you do this, it'll lead to this, it'll lead to this. Why do you keep doing it? Why do you keep making that mistake? Because people, people that have not submitted to the way of righteousness have not started at point number one and have not, and have not walked in the way of righteousness, receiving forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Their affections are not for Christ alone. Their affections are mixed. They, they still love the things of, of, the, of this world. They are in a trap, a cycle of, of, of a fool. And they will continue to be a fool until they awaken to righteousness, until they awaken to the reality that God's ways... The way of righteousness is the only way. I mean, I, there's, we can all think of different loved ones that we have. You just want to take them, you want to grab them, and you want to shake them. But wake up. Look, look what you're doing. Look at the pattern of your life. Look at the, look at the, the, the decisions you've been making. You, you, you're going down a path that will ultimately end in destruction. Wake up. Listen. Listen to wisdom crying in the street. When we give our hearts to Christ and submit to his path, we become skilled in the issues of life. When we, when we give our hearts to Christ and submit to his path, we become skilled. You know, I think Christians, Christians should be the most skilled in the, in the issues of life. When, when somebody on your job wants, wants, wants an answer and they're, and they're looking for, for truth, they're looking for an answer, we should be the one that they think of first to go to. You know, you know that, that, that guy right there, I don't, I don't know much about his life other than that he loves Jesus and he looks like he's a happy guy and he's got peace. I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to go talk to her. Because we're skilled in the issues of life. We, we don't always get it right and we make mistakes and, 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 and we, we, we can be tempted to go on, on, on other paths that don't lead, to, lead to, to, to life. But consistently the pattern of our life is that, is that we have the answers. And why do we have the answers? Because we have God's word. And when we are submitted to the way of righteousness, we know where the answers to life are. There, there is no situation you face in life. None. I don't believe there's a single situation you face in life that we cannot go to the Bible and find an answer for you. Anything that you're going through may not explicitly, you know, tell you what job to take or what toothbrush to buy. But, but the principles of Scripture as a whole answer every single issue of life. This is what I believe, and I believe it's true. I, would, I, bank, I, would bank, I bank my life on the truth of God's word. In the way of righteousness, fools become wise. Psalms chapter 1 gives a picture of the contrast between what we're talking about. Psalms 1, 1 through 6. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, in the way, the path of sinners. That he doesn't go down that path. Blessed is that man nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his, his, his affections is in the word of God, in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on his word, he meditates day and night. And this person who's in the way of righteousness, whose affections are for Christ, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in, in its season. That type of person that used to be foolish, they're wise now. They have fruit in their life. It, their leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, they're not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, 
Man, that is so good. I love that. That is such a good, man, God knows our situation. He knows what we're going through. He knows our situation. When we walk in his way, the way of righteousness, he knows the way of the righteous. When you, when you walk in the ways of righteousness and you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then you are righteous. And so God knows the ways of the righteous. He's acquainted with your ways. He knows you. He knows the situations that you go through. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. They will perish. The book of Proverbs teaches us that the way of the fool is the way of death. The way of the fool is the way of death. So number one, this is what we start with. The way in the way of righteousness, there's forgiveness of sins. And in the way of righteousness, the things of this world are no longer attractive. Our affections are not on the things of this world, but they're on Christ and Christ alone. And thirdly, we become wise when we follow the way of righteousness. We are skilled in the issues of life. And then lastly, number four, in the way of righteousness, pain and suffering lose their sting. In the way of righteousness, pain and suffering lose their sting. In this life, we will all experience pain and suffering. All of us. The righteous and the unrighteous. We would love it to be that only the unrighteous would suffer. We would love it as Christians. Hey, wait a minute, God. I'm walking in the way of righteousness here. I submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord. My affections are for you, God. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through pain. I don't want to get sick. I don't want my loved one to get sick. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to have difficulties in my marriage. I don't want my kids to stray. God, God, this has got to be, this is not good. As a Christian, I should have an easy life. I should have a life with no trouble. But this is not what the Bible teaches. There are some people who will take the Bible and try to make that what the gospel is. But that's not what the gospel is. The Bible doesn't teach that. What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches in Matthew 7. This is just one section. We could go and show lots of other things the Bible says, but it's a good picture for us. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is the man who has listened to wisdom. His house is on rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. This is a picture of someone's life. But it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not follow the way of righteousness, does not do them, will be like a foolish man. The fool rejects Christ. And they build their house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beats on that person's life, and it fell. And how great was the fall? It was great because it ended in eternal judgment. This is, a picture, this is a picture of heaven and hell. This is a picture of somebody who's a Christian and who is a non-Christian. When the winds and the rain of this life beat on the life of a Christian, when difficulty comes our way, we are not utterly destroyed because we are on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But when the winds and the rain beat on the life of somebody who's not founded on Christ and their life ends, their life is only founded on sand, how great is that fall because they end their life in eternity 
separated from God. In the way of righteousness, though, suffering and loss find greater meaning and purpose. This is what Romans 8.28 teaches. Romans 8.28 says this. It said, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things. We could just stop right there. What would all things include? Shout, shout some things out at me. Good, bad, ugly, pain, suffering, cancer, divorce, disease, rejection, everything. Good, happiness, joy, all things. For those that love God, all of these things, what do they do? They work together for good. How can bad things, we understand how good things can work together for our good, right? That's easy. I get a pay raise, that worked together real good for me. It's easy to understand that. But how can, how can anything bad work together for my good? Well, I think our definition of good is messed up. That's why we don't get it. We think our definition of good is healthy and wealthy and successful, right? That's what we believe. We believe that, that this life is, the purpose of it is for us to be healthy, wealthy, successful, and happy. It's not the purpose of this life. You know what the purpose of this life is? It's to glorify God. And so the way that good things work together, bad things work together for your good, is that when you as a believer go through difficult things, and you do not fall, and you do not give up, and your faith is not misplaced. What, what happened with Peter? Peter and Jesus had a conversation, and Jesus told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times. And what did Peter say? I will never deny you, Lord, never. And what did Peter do? He denied him three times. That's about as bad as bad can get, right? To look the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus was in, was in close range of Peter. And that they made eye contact. The third time he denied Jesus, they made eye contact with each other. And Peter wept bitterly. He went away and wept bitterly. That is bad. You, de- you denied the Lord, your Savior. How, did, how could that work for good? When you fast forward the story... Jesus goes and finds Peter. Peter is so overwhelmed with the decision that he made. He was so distraught over what happened. He told the rest of his brothers, he said, I'm going fishing. And, and he went fishing, and he was not successful. He wasn't catching anything. And there was a man out on the beach. And he called out to Peter, and he said, throw your net on the right side. And he threw his net and he got a great catch and he realized, oh my goodness, this is the Lord. And he goes, he runs, he strips off his outer garment and he goes and he runs and he meets Jesus. And Jesus has that beautiful conversation with him. And the bad, the rejection, the failure, the bad that Peter walked in was worked together for his good. And God used Peter. This, I, I just love this picture with Peter. God used Peter to preach the first message 
on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. He became, he became the spokesman for the church. God had a plan for his life. And, you know, and when we have great difficulty and when we have great failure, we think, how can that work together for our good? But those that love God, God can work all of that together for your good because God is more interested in the internal growth of your life than he is in the temporary things of your life. And so we may temporarily struggle, but, but if, if we will become more concerned about what is going on on the inside of our life, then no matter what the challenge is, pain, suffering, sin, sickness, disease, none of it can stop our faith. Peter's faith did not fail. What did Jesus tell Peter? He said, I'm praying for you. This is before he denied him. He said, I'm praying for you, Peter. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants your faith to fail, but I'm praying that your faith would not fail. And that's how all things work together for our good because our, our faith doesn't buckle. It's such a powerful truth there. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for our good, for those who are called according to, our, to, to his purpose. Amen? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And what happens is, and I, I find this to be true over and over again. When somebody goes through a difficult season in their life, they go through challenges, and their faith doesn't fail. The outside world looks, and they see that. And they say, I don't, I don't know what you got. I don't know what, what you're on. But you have something that I don't have. Because if, I'm going through something like you're going through and I don't have any hope. I don't have any faith. I don't have any peace. My marriage is, is a mess just like yours. But how come you come here with a smile on your face? I'm sick just like you're sick. How, how come you're happy? It's because our faith is in Christ. And he's working those things together for our good. For us to grow in Christ. Amen. In the way of righteousness, suffering and loss find greater meaning and purpose. There's a purpose to our suffering. Any suffering you go through, there's a purpose to it. It's not wasted. There's no wasted suffering. There's no wasted pain. God wants to use it so that he can get glory. As believers, and this is kind of a final point here about in the way of righteousness, pain and suffering lose their sting. As believers, the reason there's no sting in pain and suffering It's because we know that this life is not our final destination. There's no sting in pain and suffering. Because we know this is temporary. We can can lose everything that we have. We can lose our wealth, our health, our friends. Lose it all. But if we have Christ, we have everything. Right? Do do you believe that? I I, I think I'd have a hard time believing that sometimes. Wouldn't you? Take my money, take my health, take my house, my job, my career. It would be a struggle to believe that I still have everything, but it's true. It's true nonetheless. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, this is what we were looking at in Romans 8, right? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed Day by day. And I love, I love the language here in verse 17. It says, for this light momentary affliction 
It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the the picture there is, is that this temporary existence that we have is likened to light momentary affliction. And in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, none of the suffering compares. All the pain that we go through in this life, nothing compares to what God is preparing for us in eternity. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for your word, for the truth of your word, Lord. God, it, it, it is true that the path of righteousness is the only path. God, the path, the path of the fool, the path of sin, the path of the ways of the world, God, it only leads to death. God, remind us of that during moments of temptation. Remind us of that when we are, when we are tempted to despair. Remind us of that when we're tempted to yield to the temptations of our flesh. Remind us, God, that the path of righteousness is the only path. God, I pray, Lord, that our affections would be unmixed. We would not be like the children of Israel, God. That we would not forget your goodness. We would not forget what you've delivered us from. That we would not forget and look back to the things of this world. And Lord, I also pray for all of those here tonight that are going through difficult circumstances right now. God, I just pray, Lord, that they would be encouraged by the truth of Romans chapter 8. That they would be encouraged to know that, that right in the middle of their difficulty, right in the middle of their challenges, as you are there with them, and that you are working that situation together for their good. God, you never promised us an easy life, but you promised that you would be with us and that you would be working in us. And that no suffering is a wasted time. And that you are perfecting us in the image of Christ. Pray that you would encourage those people here tonight to lean on you and to trust you in the middle of difficulty. God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus.